welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Today, I am here with Ashita Dervey. Much apologies to Ashita's friends and family for when she first came on the pod. I incorrectly pronounced her surname as Derv, to which uh, Ashita has chastised me. Um, So Ashita was originally on the pod where she talked about how to win marketing awards. But today she is here to talk about B2B email marketing in 2022. Ashita is an absolute authority on the subject matter. She has written over a thousand B2B emails that have gone to well over 2 million recipients around Australia over the last eight years doing work in professional services, training, insurance, finance, and and, and much, much more. She's been Rocket's in-house marketing manager since 2019, where she also heads up our email and content marketing strategies for clients. Prior to that, she was at Sales ITV, one of Australia's leading sales training um, and education organizations. Ashita, welcome back to the pod. Thank you, James. I'm happy to be back. It is. It's been. It's been too long since we've had you on. So I'm. I'm glad yeah, you are back. That was a very flattering introduction. Thank you. I think just before we rip in, um, we wanted to keep the focus on B two B email marketing, like just the distinction. But B two B versus B two C, um, is it as clear as that, or is it more just a type of um, sales transaction that we're trying to change and try to move? I think for most part, it is the sales transaction that you're trying to move when you are speaking from a B2C context. um, Even though there is a lot more personalization these days, your tone is quite different from a B2B context. In a B2B context, there's a lot of relationship involved and there's the brand involved as well. Whereas in B2C, it's usually just the brand that you're talking to, not a specific person. Um, And that's the main difference between the two. Yeah, and I think when we were... we. um... A lot of your experience is in trying to um, have people reach out to an organization that they've had some touch point, they've downloaded something, they've maybe been a past customer, that's a larger ticket item, consulting, professional services, something like that. When I think if we think of hard-nosed B2C, not necessarily B2B, B2C, but it's kind of transactional, it's e-commerce, it's sending emails every day, it's return on investment type um Metrics. When I think we're talking about how do you how do you nurture a lead to move them from being possibly interested in a more complex product or service through to actually buying it, right? Maybe not buying it, but at least making an inquiry to buying it. Reaching I mean, out. I don't want to. to I don't want team. to eliminate the salesperson's job <laughs> in the buyer's journey. Yeah. Um, but yes, definitely moving them lower in the funnel. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's talk about it. How do we? How do you build an email marketing strategy? How do you build a database? How do you get the right message to the right person at the right time? How do you measure success? So four questions right four there. Four questions in one, Ashita. We're, we're, going, we're going hard today. <laughs> okay, we'll start with the first part, which is how do you even build that email database? Now, that's that comes further up in the funnel. It depends on the content that you put out there. Um, one of the easiest ways is via content marketing. I call it easy, but it's the most convenient way. It, it does involve a lot of time, effort, and energy, and it's well worth it. So if you put together good eBooks, good downloadables, um, good checklists, um, introduce new webinars within your content marketing strategy, um, have a simple subscribe form on your website, but then don't just leave it at the subscribe form, actually send emails off the back of it. Yep. So all of these ways can be used to generate your database. Yeah, and how, like, how important is it? Like, I think we'll often come across clients that have 
have acquired email addresses over a period of time they may have sent to them previously haven't sent for a while like how important is it from when you get that email address to actually start nurturing i think it needs to be an immediate start yeah i actually don't think it i believe it yeah so it has to be an immediate start when it comes to email marketing what i find quite interesting about not just our clients but any other business that i speak to about email marketing is that they're willing to spend say $50 to $200 to even $600 sometimes to get an email address, which is quote unquote, a lead for their business. And they are willing to spend that through paid media, but then they've got this collection of email addresses, collection of contacts, you know, just sitting in their CRM and collecting dust. And when you start measuring the value of an email address at say $100 per email address, and then you look at your database, Only when you put in that lens, do you realize the value of your database, right? So if you have 5,000 contacts, that may be a $50,000 worth database that you have. So not email marketing them is a huge opportunity cost that most businesses may be missing out on. Yeah. And it does, like a consultancy, which is a, um, I guess, a website authority creator of content for marketers out of the UK, they publish a report every year and almost without exception, email marketing consistently ranks as the, ch- the digital channel that gives marketers the best return on investment. And um, I think there is this misconception, I think often not even in marketing departments, but potentially outside of that email marketing is spam and that it doesn't work and that it, um, it doesn't play the role it once did when the data just doesn't support that argument. And it's definitely not what we see. Is that fair, Ashita? That's absolutely fair. I think email has got a bad rep because of the assumption around anyone can write emails and send emails because um, we we use email on a daily basis. I believe most of our audience does. I would be surprised if someone doesn't use an email address, but because everyone writes emails, they believe that email marketing would require the same skills and that's not true. When we write emails, we write emails on a one-on-one basis. It automatically becomes a very tailored concept. When we do email marketing, we are trying to communicate on a mass level, right? On that mass level, on that broadcast level, we want to achieve certain outcomes. We want to achieve the personalization. We want to achieve a connection with the person whom we're sending an email to. And we want to achieve a next step from their end. And that requires a special specialized skill when you're communicating at mass yeah. and still trying to achieve that personal. Yeah, and just talk a little bit about your philosophy on database development. Do we, you know, I think we all presume that we're talking about users that have opted in. How do we feel about, Correct. you know, sending emails to people that have filled out a contact form but haven't, you know, may have checked a box but haven't really said, I want to join your newsletter. Should we be emailing them? Should we be emailing people that have engaged with a sales rep where it's now a closed lost? Should we be asking for re-asking for permission there? Like what's your philosophy on that? So my philosophy when it comes to email marketing is less about database generation. I believe that's more top of funnel work. It's more about database management. So keeping your lists clean is 100% a priority. And if there were a silver bullet for email marketing, this would be one of those many silver bullets. Having a clean list, having good segmentation practices within your database, um, getting people out of your database when they opt out, um, when someone responds back negatively to email marketing, which is very possible when you're sending emails to thousands of people, 
getting them out of your database. If you get auto responses saying, I have moved jobs, cleaning that cleaning that database out is so important for your both email deliverability mm. and your results uh, from email marketing, which is your click-through rate, your engagement, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one part. So keeping the database clean and then sending emails to specific segments. You could send one single email with one single outcome. Say, for example, if you wanted to drive webinar registrations, um, sending a broadcast email to your entire database is one way and you'll get a result from it. But if you send the same email to three different segments, say your current customers saying in a plain text format, from the director of your business saying, hey, I'm running this webinar, would you like to join? You already have that relationship, mm -hmm. develop it. Sending that same email to people who have not downloaded something, you know, they've just subscribed saying, hi, we're running a webinar, would you like to join? Um, and then giving more details about your brand and the webinar itself. And the third one, say to someone who has engaged with your content saying, hi, you've previously downloaded something. I thought you'd find this webinar interesting. We're running this session on so-and-so date. Would love for you to join. It's the same message, but it's three different tones. It's going to three different segments. Yeah. Your overall result from the registrations is going to be much higher than just sending one broadcast email saying, we're running a webinar, please join us on XX date, yeah. right? So contextualizing your communication is quite important. And how do we do that? Because I think like that's always been the um, the promise of email, right? It's just this personalization, segmentation. We're told don't batch and blast anymore. You know, you don't have a monthly newsletter that goes out. You have emails hitting the right person at the right time with the right message. It's based on them and their journey with your brand, not not the the reverse. Um, but I often find that that's a real challenge for, for, for businesses where it's all well and good to say, um, you know, hit people with messaging that, that, that works for them. But once you start segmenting, you start finding that you need to have, you know, six pieces of content for your six core you know, verticals that you're targeting or for your, you know, your different persona types and suddenly six becomes 12, becomes 24. How do you do that? Like we've got obviously got listeners and big businesses with big budgets and create lots of content with powerful systems. And then you're going to have marketers listening that are doing it all themselves as well as their day job. Like how do you balance personalization, segmentation with just actually getting stuff out the door? I think um, over segmentation is a problem in terms of content, not in terms of email. So yeah. you just mentioned that if you have six personas, you need to create six types of content. Yeah. I don't necessarily believe that's the case. I think you could have one overarching piece of content. An example I can give you is in relation to Rocket. Um, so what we do at Rocket is every year we update a version of the Australia's digital marketing guide. Yeah. It's one guide. It's an overarching piece that can it, that has enough information uh, and clear steps that are applicable to all our personas, right? So the point is to take that masterpiece of content, but when you send it out to those different personas, you tweak the message slightly so it's more relevant to them. Yeah. Um, let me talk to you about segmentation. So in terms of segmentation, I believe that there are five specific ways by which you can segment your database. Mm -hmm. So number one, I would just go by where they are in your marketing funnel, right? What's their, in HubSpot terms, life cycle stage. Are they a lead, which is have they 
Have they inquired about the business? Are they a current customer? Are they someone who has who have entered your database and engaged with certain content on your website, right? Are they an MQL? Are they an opportunity? Are they talking to a salesperson right now? So that's one way of segmenting the database. And in terms of the content that you put out, sometimes you might want to avoid sending it to people who are talking to your sales guys and people who are your current customers because you don't need them to enter into your funnel yeah. again. Okay, so that's one way. Second way is your contact type, right? So many people chuck their people, uh, chuck contacts that don't fit into those specific life cycle stages into something called other. And that other can mean many different things, right? They could be um, your partner companies, they could be suppliers, they could be recruitment leads, um, they could be um, ex-customers that yeah. have moved on who are no longer your customers, people like that. So yeah. there's a contact type and that's the second way of segmentation. A third way is um, behavioral data. So have they downloaded an ebook? Have they attended a webinar? Did they register for a physical event? Have they visited a specific page? Is that your pricing page or something like that, right? So behavioral data is the third way. Yeah. The fourth way would be based on your service type. So if you are a business that provides more than one kind of service or more than one kind of product, then you can segment your database based on their interest. And this information needs to be captured on the form level initially when you when they actually enter the database, yeah. or it can be added in as people interact with certain content, right? So your service or your offer type is the fourth way. And your fifth way is then boils down to demographic data. So that's yeah. the last way by which I segment an audience, but your demographic data is, okay, what's their persona? So if you've managed to capture that one, that's great. So whether they are a marketing manager, a CMO, or in another business case, case is it an accountant or a CFO, you yeah. know, or are they, um, what's their marketing budget or what's their uh, project budget? no matter what your company is yeah. or the company size, are they one to 50, um, 50 to hundred, et cetera. Yeah. So these are the five ways. So your life cycle stage, contact type, your behavioral data, your service or offer type and your demographic data are the five ways by which you can create multiple segments. And not to forget, you can overarch one over the other and then create smarter lists. Yeah. Um, an important part is not to send, if someone's a a part of one list, then they shouldn't be a part of the other, or you need to be able to exclude them so they don't get the same email two times. And how do you balance? Um, like, yeah, because like that's obviously if you've got five different ways of cutting things up, you could correct. It can multiply out to be correct a huge number of different emails with the same piece of content. Correct. So kind of make sensible decisions based on internal resourcing, how much content can <laughs> you create, etc. Um, but then, how like what advice would you give? So in the instance of say that digital marketing guide in 2022, would, would everyone in that database be getting it at the same time with just a simple tweaking of the content in the email? Or uh, how do you balance sending out content that a brand creates to everyone at a, at a similar time versus giving people um, content and touch points that is more in line with their journey with a brand? That's a very interesting and challenging question. Yeah. When it comes to new content, I would give it to people to whom it is relevant to. So that's your number one thing. At the end of the day, all emails we send out need to have an outcome. And the outcome needs to be served both from a sender's point of view and the recipient's point of view. If the recipient doesn't get value from the content, don't send it. Yeah. It's a very, there's no complicated math out here. If it's not valuable, don't send it. If it is valuable, 
then send it. Yeah. And then with email marketing, you want to tweak the way you send it so that it makes more sense to the sender, to the recipient. From a sender's point of view, if you don't send an email because you want to reach a KPI of sending X number of emails per month, that doesn't make any sense, right? So in, in, in the case of the Australian Digital Marketing Guide, it's applicable to our entire database, whether it's customers or not. In most cases, we won't send it to customers because we are actively, at least for our clients, we are actively educating our clients as a result of them engaging with us and the strategies we present are tailored to those clients. But in terms of people who are not our clients, but in our database and, and the broader Australian digital marketing community, we would send that out without hesitation yeah. because there's enough there's enough content within that ebook that anyone within that marketing field could get value from. Yeah. So I, I know that I'm confident about the value that I'm providing. Hence, I won't hesitate to send it out. But if it comes to say, for example, uh, an ebook on e-commerce, then ideally I would like to segment my database to only e-commerce businesses yeah. and send it to them instead of, instead of sending it to say anyone and everyone. And, and then what kind of, um, what kind of rules do you put in place to avoid, um, as you kind of touched on earlier, someone sitting in two segments or potentially being eligible to get, you know, three bits of content across three days? How much email is too much? Um, so, kind of, what would your advice there be to be be in a B two B context? Uh, as it is with all cases, it depends. Yeah. So, in terms of B two B, if um, if the marketing function is is the function that is responsible for email marketing without having too much context on what the salespeople are doing, I think you could be sending one email every week. I believe every business should have at least something new, something interesting and something valuable to say once a week. I'm not talking about creating a freaking long newsletter with three case studies, a testimonial. This is what we did in our company. Well, nobody cares what you did in your company. Yeah. It's not valuable to the recipient, right? What's valuable is what's happening in the industry, um, challenges that your persona is facing on a daily basis, uh, case studies of how you've solved a problem that may be relevant to your persona, things like that. So those are the things that I would like to send to um, B2B databases. And once a week is something that I would aspire to. Yeah. Um, and then what's more likely for businesses in terms of just capacity and the effort that goes into putting that email together and sending out is probably two emails a month. Yeah. Um, that's the average. But again, if you don't have something to say, don't say it. Yeah, I think okay. once a week, and like as you, prefaced it with it depends right like i think if we're looking at yeah. e-commerce clients they're sending emails probably five times a week or four times a week with specials and products etc even three times a day it's yeah, not it's not it. uncommon that's it right um we've had clients in the past selling big big ticket software seven figures um whether you know they're trying to reach clients that themselves are kind of locked into three-year contracts and it's a big tender process i think probably once a week would sound a bit frequent for a business Too like that. Too much for them, correct. Um, but a business like Rocket where we're sending out content to marketers on changes in Google and changes in Facebook and some guides and webinar invites, whatever else, we're probably doing, what, two or three a month maybe? Would that be right? 
closer yes, to that's it. Right. Yeah, so it does. We, we try and hit two a month. And if we've got something really, really valuable to say, then we might send three a month. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 100%, you would want to send emails to people depending on their ability to absorb that information. Yeah. So once a week is what is termed as best practice. So, so it even depends on geography, right? So if you're in the States, receiving an email once a week is absolutely normal. Yeah. Um, they have a higher... Uh, tolerance for email in the states this is what i have noticed and if you look at any educational material around email marketing um that's produced from the states which is most of it yeah. then they would recommend once or even twice a week in terms of the email frequency yeah. but for australian marketers i would say once a week is what you should be aspiring towards but try and hit two times a month at least and then we i kind of touched on it earlier we I, be good to dig in a bit deeper but onboarding so it feels like with rockets content and what we do for a lot of our clients is once someone's you know been nurtured for a period of time a month or two months or six months they're then kind of falling into a more general workflow segmentation personalization but fundamentally getting the most up-to-date content etc but that's quite different to when they first engage where often it's a bit more stacked towards their journey and putting the best bit of content first. If we can just, I guess, uh, talk about onboarding series and how they work and um, and, and the philosophy behind that. I, I would split that question in two parts based on my understanding. Let me know if this is what you're after. I think yeah. what we are trying to find out is the balance between automated emails uh, based on someone's behavior versus manual broadcast emails that are sent at a certain frequency. Yeah, I think so. Like content based on I've just engaged with this brand for the first time Correct. versus... Correct. I've been nurtured for the last two years. Am I still getting a you know a custom series based on being in the database for two years generally, or am I getting just the general batch and blast I, with some segmentation? I think you would get back from the past your your general segmentation. So I believe everyone within your database, everyone in the sense this is segmented based on a purpose, you know, um, that's the assumption that you've already done all the yeah. hard work behind the specific audience. So your marketing qualified leads should receive regular emails from you um, on at least two times a month. And that should be tailored to that particular time period. So it should be contextual to um, what's happening in the market at that particular time, what's hot in the market. Um, what the industry issues are at that time. So for for right now, right now, um, it's quite a tough time in the economy. So we'll send out an email about marketing in tough times. Um, if it's uh, during COVID, during the pandemic, we were giving out tips of how marketers could manage um, manage not being in the premise and marketing their business. So things like that. So it should be contextualized. Yeah. When it comes to those automated emails with that should be triggered off of behavioral segmentation. So if you look at those five parts of segmentation, behavioral data was the other one. If they take certain activity on your website, then they should receive uh, probably more emails because that means that they are warm enough right now. They've engaged with your brand. They, they seem to be interested in the content um, that you are an expert in. Yeah. Um, so that's when we'll send out more emails to that particular person specifically. But regardless of those emails, they'll continue receiving the manual nurture. Yeah. That's the way I would stack it. 
And then the onboarding series, I guess, is more for people who have already signed up as a customer um, in terms of a SaaS business that can, that can seem that can be an eight to 10 part email series telling them how to use a particular software, how to make the most of it, how yeah. other people uh, like them are using the software, et cetera, educating them about the features. Um, but for in a professional environment, I wouldn't I wouldn't put too much effort in quote unquote an onboarding series because I believe that the business people themselves need to build that relationship on a one-on-one level. Um, Can we just talk about platform? Because often the question I get is what's the best email marketing platform or what's the best marketing automation platform? And um, I think obviously there is no best. It's all about what the best platform is for your needs. Um, that is true. There Hubs- can be preferences. Yeah, I think that's right. Like we're a HubSpot partner. We use HubSpot ourselves. Mm. But how, and I think often marketers that might not be as experienced or haven't kind of used a, a bunch of platforms or have been exposed to them, it's often mm. easy to fall for the kind of the, the, gl- the glossy 90-second explainer video that makes it sound like it does all these things for you. Um, that is true. <laughs> what, like, how do you go about identifying if the platform you're on is a good one for your needs, and/or if you are going out to market? Like, how, and I don't want to dig too deeply into this, but what mm. are the like, what, what what's your perspective on that? I would start with just need and outcome again. So, yeah. what's your outcome? Do you want to do you want a full CRM or do you just need an email marketing platform to send emails to specific audiences that you can easily segment? I would look at the segmentation features. I would look at automation features if you need automation. And then I would look at price, price per contact, et cetera, et cetera. So for example, for like, for startups, I would say MailChimp is a great start because mm. it doesn't cost too much. Um, they've now introduced some CRM features, but from an automation point of view, MailChimp is perhaps my last choice yeah. because at least at this stage, like today it's 2022 and it takes about five to 15 minutes per automation uh, in MailChimp. So if you have five people that enter a workflow, one, for one person to go through one step, it can take up to 15 minutes. So MailChimp really slows down that urgency um, urgency that's required for email automation. Yeah. Right? So that's not my choice. I would say Active Campaign is a good choice for medium-sized businesses. It does achieve a lot of things that you want, the HubSpots and the Pardots and the Marketing Clouds to achieve for you, yeah. but it's more suited towards smaller businesses. And if you're genuinely serious about investing in an e- a long-term email marketing and marketing automation crm etc etc platform that's when i would say okay go for hubspot yeah. um so it it really depends on the business's situation and whether they are able to get bang on buck by adopting the software just signing up for the software isn't going to make dollars drop on the um, on the PNL statement, right? Yeah. So you've got to use the software properly. So based on your capacity, I would say sign up for certain softwares. Yeah, that's right. And then I guess with HubSpot, they've done so much work on the product over the last Correct. kind of five years or so. They've probably moved they've moved from being a small to medium-sized business tool to try Correct. to move into that upper end of Correct. big market and, and many times uh many times softwares like HubSpot offer enough free features for you to get started. Uh, on the platform, I know HubSpot now offers free email sending to about 2,000 contacts as well. So it, it does build a case um, for them 
uh, for small business as well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, look at your situation, look at the price, look at the automation features available, um, see whether you want it as a CRM or just as an email marketing platform yeah. and then make a decision. Yeah, cool. And in terms of the actual emails, I mean, something that I think there is this uh, kind of general idea that email marketing means a glossy glitzy html5 image heavy email is that always the case 100 percent no <laughs> uh, in a b2b context i would say 100 percent no i would just uh, again go back to the most the the initial part which is what is the outcome that you are trying to drive from the email um i would say when it comes to immediate responses you know when you download something and you get uh, a thank you email with a quick link to the PDF that you've downloaded, that can be a completely brand heavy and HTML. Um, I know that if I'm sitting at 2 a.m. downloading this educational file, um, there is no Joseph Connor sitting in the sitting on the other side of the world sending me an email saying, thank you for downloading this. Here's a quick link. Yeah. We know it's automated. We know it's coming from the brand. So it's okay for that to look nice, to be, to reinforce the brand colors, to reinforce the logo, et cetera, et cetera. And that can have an HTML feel. But when you're trying to drive actions, it's better to, to deliver emails that are in combination of HTML and plain text yeah. in a B2B context. So you don't need to skimp out on the HTML emails. I think they still have a place in B2B, in a B2B context, when you are speaking from the brand's point of view. So if I am a brand and I want to showcase a case study, if I am a brand and I want to tell you five things about uh, that make my company or make my product special, almost a brochure of sorts, right? Yeah. That's what the email wants to achieve. In that case, an HTML email makes sense. Um, but then it's better to back up the personal conversation saying, hi, I am so-and-so from this company and I'm here to help. Those emails are better if they are in plain text. That's right. And that's yeah. a way, whether that's coming from a sales rep, in our instance, we'll often send them from me coming out from HubSpot, Correct. but it's, it mimics Correct. the style of our normal um, email Correct. signatures and probably kind of sneaks under the guard a little bit. doesn't look like an ad when you're getting it sent to you. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It's a good, good. That's what away. you want to achieve. Yeah, that's right. Um, in terms of um, a question, which I think is an interesting one, common mistakes that people make when it comes to email automation. Um, I would say there are two common mistakes. So number one is not having a suppression list, which means they switch on the automation based on a certain trigger, say, uh, so-and-so filled in this form, therefore they should get five or six emails after that in about six weeks time. But what if that person is already your customer? You don't want them to get emails from you that say, hey, book a call with, again, so-and-so from my team, or can I help you with this service that you are already paying for? You know, you don't want to, uh, I know, make a fool of yourself in that way. So not having good suppression lists is one. And the second big mistake is not having an email marketing owner. So I'm not saying you need to hire someone specifically for email marketing in your business, but someone within your business should be nominated uh, to keep your email flows clean. And what I mean by that is if someone does reply to an email, somebody should receive it and somebody should respond to it. And the person who's sending that email should be taken out of the workflow. Yep. Right. If they have already engaged and responded to the email, if they have made the inquiry, they should stop 
receiving the other emails from the workflow. That's one. And second, when you send these automated emails or even broadcast emails, you get a response back. And many times it's like, I'm out of office. I've left this job. I don't want to receive these emails, et cetera, et cetera. All of those people need to be cleaned out of your database. There needs to be an owner who does, who takes that action. Yeah. And I hadn't, I'd always underestimated. I think I was actually totally unaware of the fact that the cleaner your database is, the more streamlined it is, it actually, it improves your deliverability, which means that- 100%. You, you know, if you've got 5,000 good contacts and 5,000 bad contacts, if you send to the 10,000, the 5,000 good, you might get through to four. If you can strip out the 5,000 that are bad, the bounce backs, the whatever, your deliverability Correct. to the remaining five might go from four to four and a half or four, seven, which is- 100%. And, and you're saving obviously in terms of your storage within your email marketing software and- so it's kind of absolutely it's another we, we kind of bang on about it all the time but it's all about once again another example of quality over quantity it's, in marketing. it's one of the hidden things right because you're not going to drum about it in your staff meeting saying hey i increased my deliverability rate yeah. by so and so but it does uh, play such a big role in the long term yeah. right now after we've been like i've been doing email marketing with rocket uh for rocket for about two years, two and a half years right now. And we get, we get, we send it to thousands of people. I'm not going to share numbers here with thousands of people. And I'm now I'm receiving just five or six replies back saying I'm either out of office or I'm unavailable or I've left the job. So the database is maintained in such a way. We're quite strict about it. And I'd recommend that to every client that walks yeah. through our door. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such an unsexy topic, isn't it? But it's so it important is. to actually, yeah. <laughs> to actually keep your database it. clean. <laughs> That's right. Um, I thought it'd be interesting. So let's pretend someone downloads an ebook on a B two B website. What would a nurture strategy look like? Like not in detail, but just kind of conceptually. How would just how what would your approach be? Again, I'm going to say it completely depends on outcomes and what your business is, what it does, et cetera, et cetera. I would yeah. start by looking at the sales cycle and depending on the length of your sales cycle, we can determine the length of your email nurture journey as well. So if you take uh, from inquiry to sale, if it takes a month, then your nurture journey can be three weeks, three and a half weeks. If it's two weeks, then it can, you know, then you have to make sure all your emails are sent within those two weeks. If yep. it's six months, then I would stretch your email nurture to maximum six weeks and then, you know, feed them on your manual nurture trip. I would start, if someone downloads something, I would start with a, a simple thank you email um, just to acknowledge that they have downloaded something. I would give information about the company and I would give a quick link um, to that particular downloadable, follow it up possibly with a plain text email from a member of the company um, that is client facing during office hours. So the email will be sent during office hours, just ensuring um, that they are available to help them out with any questions they have about the downloadable or about the business. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it depends on the context of that particular uh, downloadable that they have, sure. um, they have actually received. Uh, moving on from there, I would talk about case studies. Um, so giving examples of how you've solved a problem for somebody in the past. Um, you can send e follow-up emails or you can send FAQs about either your business or the problems that you are solving, saying, mm -hmm. hi, so-and-so, here are the 10 most common questions that our team has asked about this particular topic. If you have these questions, we can help you out or here are the answers. So 
I would have all, I would pepper them in and every email doesn't need to end with call us today, call us today, call us tomorrow. So there could be the point of the first thank you email might just be to reinforce the brand and there you don't want to drive too much say action or an inquiry. But the second one, you may be looking for a reply, which is, hey, do you have any questions? For the third one, um, maybe about a case study you want you want them to click through to read that case study and as a result, make an inquiry. Don't forget if they go back to your website, they go back into the remarketing pool and then they get hit with display ads um, via Google or Facebook or LinkedIn or whichever channels you have yeah. activated. Um, and then you may ask for a sale. So after you provide enough value, then you ask for, do you would you like to speak to an expert yeah. about so-and-so? So don't just kick off your... Uh, nurture series by demanding a meeting selling, or selling, saying selling. book a time now with my team yeah. um, be genuinely helpful keep emails super short I would even say go to your uh, sales team uh, go to their sent inbox and try and look at what emails they have been sending and what they have been successful in and you yeah. might find your scripts there your subject lines there yeah. you don't need to reinvent the wheel you need to tweak you need to tweak the information you have so that it's applicable to people on mass. How do you how do you measure it? How do you know it's working? Like I think it's so easy in ecom where you send out to three hundred thousand people and you make six million bucks worth of revenue every month and you can track it what's working, what's not. But when you're looking at a smaller database and you've got three thousand people in it or ten thousand people in it and you're selling expensive software that you know the company's making a couple of deals a month, um, like how what sort of metrics are you looking at? to pass up the food chain to say our, our email marketing strategy is working? I would look at engagement rates um, with a pinch of salt, knowing that email marketing is a part of a bigger puzzle that is marketing in general. And uh, we don't want to make an attribution error by saying that I sent an email, therefore we made $2 million, right? Yeah. Um, so it's a part of the game. So I would look at engagement rates. Are people opening those emails? Are people downloading that particular piece of content? Um, are people replying back to emails? Um, is someone mentioning within the sales conversation with the salesperson saying, hey, I received this email from so-and-so in your company. That was really good or that was really bad or I don't know what they're talking about, you know? So response rate from there. So I would, I would look at uh, numeric metric benchmarks yep. um, and then I would look at non-metric benchmarks, which is just the general feel um, from uh, gut feel is one very important in marketing that other than that conversations with the sales team and just a general understanding of how people are engaging with that content. So yep. both of those together would tell me whether the exercise has been useful. Yep. Overall, just know that it is best practice. Email marketing is best practice. If your database is small, there are enough databases out there, enough studies out there to prove that email marketing does deliver bang for buck. Yep. So in that case, I wouldn't just completely rely on the information I have, which is which may not be statistically significant, but I would look at what other people in my industry are doing and then um, at least blend it in as a part of an overall digital marketing strategy. I think that's right. I think like it, the, it's easy to want to simplify this stuff to go, I need proof that it works. And it's yeah. just not the case in big ticket items, long buyer journey, small data sets. Correct. You, are, you are having to look at some anecdotal mm -hmm. evidence and then support looking at database growth, looking at 
you know, yeah. cl clicks to the website, engagement, as you mentioned, as being data yeah. that supports the story, right? I would, I would, I would also say one thing. I don't think any B two B business should overcomplicate email marketing, and many times they do. So they feel that it's this big project that requires, you know, so much effort, energy, design, coding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then yeah. as a result, they just don't do it. So sometimes I think the inaction costs them more than actually sending something that looks decent. It may not be yeah. the perfect thing in the world, but like chasing perfection may be costing you dollars. So in that sense, just get started. You don't have to send out fancy emails. Start by sending plain text emails to your database. Yeah. Um, you know, sign up for a good software where you can start testing these things. And then overall, you'll have enough data where you can add in that layer of complexity of, yeah. um, you know, HTML emails, they have a certain banner, a newsletter style email that has a certain structure. Um, you know, even with automation, I think many people go for like, oh, I have, again, as you described it, I have six personas. So I need welcome journeys for each of those six. Don't overcomplicate it today. Yeah. Let's just start with a linear journey, have, have something developed that's generic enough. And then once you see success there, you might want to even delete email number four and six from your series, keep it only a three-part series, and then create six versions of email number two. Yeah, per right? per perfect is the enemy of done. That is so true. Yeah, and I think we find that with like I, the way I now view automation within businesses is that um, it's an investment and you kind of start off on day one and you just make the sensible decisions. And then in three months time, you make more sensible decisions. And over time, you, you start to build this bigger and bigger engine with more segmentation, more stuff happening. But you don't just, that doesn't happen in the first three months. It's kind of just keep working within the cap capability, within the capacity you have within your team. And no marketing, you know, team in Australia has infinite content capability and infinite time to build out, you know, dozens and dozens of segments, right? To start with and then over time expand. Correct. Um, Correct. Okay, Ashita, one last question. Email tactic or tactics that someone can implement immediately in their business? Give us your best one or two or three. Um, I would say, I would start by saying, Automation is not always the answer. Mm -hmm. It's awesome and it'll only take you this far. Um, but for businesses who have never done email marketing, I think it will be awesome to just start with a manual nurturing calendar. Yep. Um, and that would make more sense for them. So that's a big tip. Don't sell in every email. That's my second tip. So if you end everything by saying, talk to us now and we will help you tomorrow, that may not um, that may be quite confronting for your audience. Yep. So pep pepper in and spice it up, mix, mix up your calls to action so it doesn't seem too salesy. And the third one is be human. HTML emails are awesome, but B2B sometimes requires your plain text and human touch. And know that people may know that it is uh, an automated email. So don't try to be... Um, I would say don't try to fool the audience too much by sending even those subject lines that say reply so and so R E X Y Z sent from iPhone yeah. um, sent from message like be a little authentic about it and you'll yeah. end up getting better results. Love it, Ashita Derve. Thanks for your time <laughs> again today. You're absolutely welcome. Uh, it was great being here on the Smart Marketer podcast. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Ashita. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. 
you can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.